Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to ask if you would to turn over in the New Testament with me. We're going to look over in the New Testament at um, the book of Colossians. One of Paul's prison letters is what we'll look at. And Colossians, we, we just studied Colossians, but we're going to share a verse from chapter 1 of Colossians that as we were studying through Colossians, it just really stirred in me kind of and led us to this passage um, from, um, or to this study of grace. So we're continuing our study of grace, and we're going to continue looking at what is grace? What does God's grace for us look like? You know, one thing that I really struggle with is, uh, do we really have a true understanding, a biblical understanding of what God's grace is? I see it over and over and over again of how people abuse God's grace. They miss, and it's all because of a misunderstanding of God's grace. And if God has deemed that we are to be a refuge of grace, then we have to make certain that we truly understand God's grace. We talk as though we understand the term of grace. We have it in, we use God's grace in conversation as if we are understanding God's grace. And uh, when we talk about banking, we like to talk about a grace period. Whenever we talk about seedy politicians, we talk about them falling from grace. Musicians talk about having a grace note. Um, We desire for other people to be gracious to us. We talk about a dancer in in his or her moves being graceful. We use the word grace for hospitals, for kings, for the prayer before we eat, and our family even went so far as to making it the middle child, or the middle name of our second child, Abigail Grace Chambliss. We talk, though, as though we know what grace is, that we have a true understanding of grace. But do we really have a true understanding of God's grace? We started last week with the book of Hebrews. Adrian, if you can make my slides on the back too. So we, talk, uh, we started last week of the book of Hebrews in looking at Hebrews of launching us into this idea of wrestling with God's grace. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one wants to, or that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This is our mission, Whitechapel Church. This is what we have to be about in this community and in our ministries, our youth ministry, our children's ministry, our preschool through 12th grade ministry, our thrift store and outreach, and everything that we do, it has to be about the grace of God. 
Because whenever we take our eyes off of the grace of God, what happens is it starts to turn towards self. And whenever we shine self, we are missing the point of the grace of God. God's grace is about what He has done for us instead of what He expects of us. Did did you catch that? God's grace is not about the expectation that He has upon us, but instead is about the price that He paid to be in relationship with us. Now, because of God's grace that's so freely given to us, there are expectations. But the point of grace is not the expectations. The point of grace is about what God actually has done for us. Because we receive grace, then it causes us to do certain things in our life. And we can't mix that up. Because whenever we are focusing on the outcome or the expectations that come out of grace, then it starts to be all about us instead of about Jesus Christ. And that is a true misunderstanding about the grace of God. Grace calls us to change And then it gives us the power to do so. So take a look over at the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 1, just one verse. I'm going to read it in the New International Version. That's the verse that I read, or that's the the translation that I read each week. It's probably the most widely read. And so I'm going to read it from there, and then I'm going to put it up on the screen in the message translation just to give us a little bit of a different perspective. So Colossians 1, verse 27, we're just going to look at one verse here. Paul says to our brothers and sisters in the Colossian church, to them God has chosen to make, to make known among the Gentiles, catch this, the glorious riches of this mystery. And here's the mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Paul says of all the mysteries that there are, no matter what ethnicity that you could come from, if you're not Jewish, if you're Jewish, if you're Gentile, whatever, wherever you want to fit yourself into this or wherever your birth uh, ordained that you would be, Paul says here is the mystery that we have to capture Because this defines who we are. The enemy doesn't define it. We looked at that last week as the enemy was casting lies at the woman at the well. And then all of these accusers are actually standing around her. And the grace of God actually intervened and stopped that. Paul says, here is the mystery. And that mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The message actually says this at the end of that. The mystery in a nutshell, and I love that word nutshell here. I don't think that Paul actually wrote nutshell. I don't know. He may have written nutshell. Um, He could have. I don't know. But in this translation, they take this and they translate it into our language as this. This is the mystery in a nutshell. This is it. Christ in you. Just simple four words. Christ is in you. So I want you to consider what that means. Paul says, here's the mystery that we need to understand. 
doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It wouldn't matter what your class was. If you're rich, you're middle class, you're poor. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. Here's the mystery we have to get. It's Christ in you. Well, what is this Christ in you? Christ is in the business of exchanging hearts with you. That's this mystery that Paul is writing about. It's not that all of a the sudden there's um, something that happens to you and it's a once and done event. It's not Paul would tell us that you in a service would feel the, feel the stirring of the Holy Spirit and that conviction and you come and you kneel at an altar, you repent of your sins and then you stand and you go about your life and you kind of do your own thing after that. So it's not an event. Paul said, this is the mystery that God would exchange hearts with you. And then he actually becomes inside of you. This is the nutshell. Christ is inside of you. And I have to tell you, um, I grew up in the church. And I love that I grew up in the church. And I tell you this story not to brag about how I was raised. Because there's as much muck and mire and darkness as there is about this story. But in growing up in the church, I went to church the first time when I was 16 days old. In growing up in the church, I did not live this crazy life of sin that whenever we would go to youth camps and whenever we would go to youth conventions, it seemed to me growing up in the church, they would always drag out the worst of the worst and put them in front of us and then that person felt that they had to tell us about all of the junk from their past. Well, that wasn't my testimony. My testimony was that I grew up in the church and I colored in the hymnal, right? And so, so that was, I mean, I, I've got some stuff in my past like all of us do. But whenever I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I didn't have the testimony of all these people that they would drag out and put in front of us at all of these youth events. They would tell us, you know, I've killed 20 people from my past. I've done this. I've done that. You know, all of this stuff. And it's just like, oh, man, that's a bad guy. That bad guy needs Jesus. And so growing up in the church, I struggled with this because I felt like I didn't have a testimony to actually come out and tell all these people. You know, I've like all these people that came out and were standing and, and, and telling us all this stuff when I was a youth. But whenever I was in Bible college, I had a moment of just me and the Lord, and it was a powerful moment from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told me that my coloring in the hymnals, if you will, and there's a lot of stuff that goes in between the pages of those hymnals that I could share with you. Um, but my coloring in the hymnal, if you will, was as sinful as all of those guys that stood out there and said, hey, I've done all of this stuff, and I've done this, and I've done this, I've killed people, whatever it was. Because all of us are born just as lost as the next person. And it doesn't matter what the road is from the moment you take your first breath until you take Jesus and he comes to live inside of you. All of us need a Savior. All of us must allow Christ to live inside of us. This is the mystery that Paul is actually talking about. And our God is in the business of exchanging hearts with us. God takes the mess of our life and gives us the answer. And that is a one word answer. And that is grace. 
And every one of us need God's amazing grace. In Ezekiel, God's having a conversation with a prophet. And he says, I want you to tell the people what I'm about to do to them. He says that I will give you a new heart. The key word here is new. I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God is saying every one of us, whenever we take our first breath, with the Adamic nature of sin that is inside of us, every one of us are born needing a spiritual heart transplant. And that transplant comes when we receive God's grace and he comes to live inside of us. And that's why God is spelling out what he's about to do that would be fulfilled then in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came. He says, I'm going to take out your old heart your heart of sin, that heart of stone. And I'm not even going to leave it there anymore. And I'm not even going to leave it in there and try to remodel it or try to transform it there because that heart is a bad heart. That heart has to come out and I'm going to put a new heart inside of you. Well, what is that new heart? Paul says in Colossians 1:27 that we just read, it is Christ inside of us. Hear this about God's grace. God's grace is what enables you to live the life that God expects of you here on this earth. Without Christ in you, you will always fail. But because of God's grace, <laughs> because of the gift of God, we don't have to be failures any longer. We don't have to buy into the lies of the enemy. We, don't, we can be like the woman at the well, standing there caught in the act of sin with multiple accusers and say, listen, I'm ready to allow Christ to come inside. I'm ready to exchange this heart of sin with the heart of Christ, that Christ would come in me. And then I receive this new spirit. And so Whitechapel Church, we have to ask ourselves, if we're to be a refuge of grace, and we are, if God has ordained that this ministry is to be a refuge of grace, and he has, then we have to start asking the question, what is a refuge of grace? And I've wrestled with this since November, and this is what I have for you. A refuge of grace is simply a gathering of people whose, whose lives are shaped by God's grace. This is our identity. This is who we are. There's two parts that I've highlighted in here for us to distinguish a gathering of people. We cannot become a refuge of grace if we don't gather together. It's vital for us to gather together. God ordained for us to be together. God ordained that iron would sharpen iron. Each one of us would sharpen each other. And so it's important that we gather together, that we are a gathering of people. Now, this does not say that we're going to live together, okay? We're going to gather together for the purpose of going out, of sharing the grace of God. But we gather together as a people whose lives are shaped by God's grace. This is the ministry that God has called each and every one of us to. So what does a grace-shaped life look like? If our life is to be shaped by God's grace, then we have to ask the question. We can get the gathering together, 
We're here on Sunday morning. We can get that part of it. But it's lives who's been shaped by grace. What does that actually look like? Tim Hansel, who is an author, um, a great Christian author, and he's the founder of Summit Ministries, he writes this. And I read this question. I thought, oh, my goodness. I have to share it with you because it's so good. Here's, here's a lot of his questions and some of his statements. He says, have you been changed by grace? If your life is going to be shaped by grace, then you have to be willing to be changed by grace. When God was writing and telling, or God was telling the Ezekiel the prophet what he was about to do to his people and take out that old heart, that heart of stone, and put in a new heart, and then there would be a new spirit. You see, that was a significant change. Because the heart, we know this, we don't have to be scientists to know this, the heart is vital for you to live. Your spiritual heart, that heart of stone that comes out and God puts that new heart inside of you, that heart is vital for you to live a life that is shaped by God's grace. And if you don't have that new heart inside of you, then you have not been changed by God's grace. You simply have had an introduction to God's grace. And I think that in the church, we've introduced a lot of people to grace, but we've not produced disciples whose lives have been changed by grace. And so you may come up close to the camp of grace. You may reap some of the benefits of the camp of grace. But what God is calling us to this morning is to stop fellowshipping with grace and live a life that has been changed by grace. Because if you're not changed, then you haven't taken his heart and Christ comes to live inside of you. That's the purpose of God's grace changing us. So Tim Hansel says, have you been changed by grace? Have you been shaped by grace, strengthened by grace, emboldened by grace, softened by grace, snatched by the nape of your neck and shaken to your senses by grace? God's grace has a drenchingness about it, a wildness about it, a white water riptide turn your life upside down about it. Grace comes after you. It rewired you from insecure to God secure, from regret riddled to better because of it, grace filled, uh, from afraid to die to ready to fly. Grace never leaves you the same. And whenever you encounter God's grace and that new heart that God wants to replace inside of you, you become filled with his God's grace. You are changed by God's grace. So let me ask you a question. How much changing have you done since you've received God's grace? Here's a good measure on whether you have received God's grace and Christ actually lives inside of you. Notice, notice what, Paul, what Paul said here. Here's, here's the gospel. Here is the mystery in a nutshell. He said, it, Christ is in you. In is the preposition that we want right there. In. A lot of us have read this and we've put in our own preposition. We wanted to say Christ is for you. Well, listen, he's for you, but if he's not in you, you haven't received God's grace. We want to maybe even put in a different preposition and say, okay, Christ is about us, right? No, he's about you, but he's got to get inside of you. 
And if he is for you and he is about you, but he's not inside of you, then you haven't experienced this mystery of God's grace that Paul is writing our brothers and sisters about. A lot of us want to put in a different preposition and leave out the word in. But if God's grace is not in you, then you've missed the entire point of the grace of God. It's Christ inside of you, living the life, empowering the life with a new heart of flesh and a new spirit inside of you. This is the transformational power of God's grace. And in a refuge of grace, of a gathering of people whose lives have been shaped by God's grace, we have to first receive God's grace. It starts right here. Because God is not going to start a refuge of grace in the trees out, beside, out, out behind us. It starts in here with every single one of us. And then it spills over to the people that are all around us. One of the questions that we could ask is back in the 30s, 1932, whenever this church was first starting and God was stirring in Grace Bevels. And it, isn't it interesting that her name was Grace, right? Um, God was stirring in Grace Bevels' heart the need to start a church in a town that would have, or in a, in, a, in a community that would eventually be known as South Daytona. God was stirring in grace that there needed to be transformed lives in this area. She was concerned about a bunch of, uh, a bunch of boys that were stealing the tags on top of the milk that her and her husband's dairy would deliver to their houses. And in this, God was stirring inside of her before war, and before the Great Depression, and before all that our country was going to go through, that there were people in this community, and there would be people over the next decades that need God's grace. And then we look back through our history of nine decades of ministry here. Nine decades of ministry here. And we have seen, and we'll talk in a few weeks about God's sustaining grace, but we've seen God's sustaining grace. And all along the way, in these nine decades, there have been a people that have met. At first, it was First Church of God, and then it was White Chapel Church of God. People that have met here whose lives have been transformed by the grace of God. A lie, and those lives have let God come to live inside of them so that they then live a life shaped by God's grace. We, as a refuge of grace, have to first receive God's grace so that others in this community will receive and live lives shaped by the grace of God. Paul wrote it this way in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. By His grace. And that is God coming in to live inside of us. Christ is in us. We are all transformed. We must be a people whose lives have been changed by God's grace. We, every one of us, need God's grace. So I want to take you back to the year was 2012. We lived in Jacksonville. Uh, Abby was just two years old at this, at this point, and, Ab and Lucy was five years old. And right up the road from us, um, there was a little, um, 
a little church, and they had a preschool. And one thing that they did every year was they had a little carnival. This isn't a photo of it, but it gives you just an idea of what this little carnival was on their church, um, on their church grounds. There wasn't a whole lot of rides, and it was a great time. And we had driven by there, and the year before that, we drove by, and Lucy begged to go. We said, okay, we'll go next weekend. Well, they didn't have it next weekend. And we heard about this almost for the entire year, from that weekend until this, up, this upcoming weekend. When we drive by, Lucy would be like, you remember when they had that fair or when they had that carnival there at this church? That, that's just what we heard. So finally, the carnival comes. We go to the carnival. We ride some rides. We let the girls play some games. We have a great time. But you know what happened? We went home with this. <laughs> this thing changed my life. <laughs> and for almost the next six or seven years, we had about 12 of these things. Because here was the beauty. Lucy went to school. And whenever I would feed him in the morning and he didn't want to eat, while she was at school, this little guy could go swim in our toilet and I could run to Walmart and buy another one for 97 cents. And that's how we lived this life with this, uh, with this goldfish. He was the best pet to have. Because I didn't have to do anything with this goldfish. When we would go on vacation, you would get one of those little things that had some food in it. You would drop it in there. He'd take care of himself. I'd just leave the light on. He'd, you know, he was fine. He could stay home. It was the easiest no-mess pet that we ever had. You'd die, you'd just go buy another one at Walmart. It was, it was the best thing ever. This goldfish sat on the shelf. It looked pretty, and I really didn't have to do anything with it. And that's how some of us treat God's grace. It looks pretty. It just sits on a shelf. And we don't have to do anything with it. Listen, that's a lie from the enemy. And that is not God's grace. God's grace is not always pretty. God's grace gets messy and gets down in the trenches with us. God's grace goes to the very pits of hell and drags us up out of the pits of hell and cleans us up and makes us shinier than new and rips out that heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and then allows his spirit to come and live inside of us and makes us newer than new. The scripture says that we're washed whiter than snow. It doesn't, God's grace doesn't just sit on a shelf and look pretty. That that is a wimpy grace, and God's grace is not wimpy. God's grace conquered the forces of evil on the cross and then conquered the consequences of sin through the empty tomb and then arose to give us hope for all of eternity. This is God's grace, and this is who God has called us to, or this is what God has called us to, for God to come and live inside of every single one of us. We do not have a wimpy grace. A wimpy grace doesn't change you, but God's grace always changes you. So we've got to start recognizing that God is in the business of changing hearts because his grace is always marked by a changed heart. If we were to go a little further back in the book of Ezekiel, we'd move from the 20s chapter back to chapter 11, in verse 19, God says, listen, listen, I'm going to do a great work in my people. He says, then 
I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit in them, and take that stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. He's echoing what he's about to say and remind them in down the road. He's saying, I have a great work to do, and it is all with this new heart. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, something a little bit similar. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Do you catch what he said to our Colossian brothers and sisters? Here's the mystery in a nutshell. It's Christ is in you. And here Paul says, Christ lives in me. Well, not only Paul said that, but John echoed his words in 1 John 4, 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Here, God is doing a work of moving inside of us. We can overcome the obstacles and the mess of life only if the grace of Jesus has changed us and Christ lives inside of us. So I don't know what messes, if you will, I'll use that word, that you may be going through in life. Well, I want to tell you the grace of God, of Christ living inside of you, is a free gift that he has for you this morning. And if you are willing to receive that gift, the messes and the junk of life have to disappear because Christ lives inside of you. Oh, it doesn't mean that they're just not going to be there. It just means that in those moments... They're not going to be able to touch you and weigh you down because Christ is his power in you and you can get through those moments because of the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ. Christ inside of you is his grace. Listen, there's no other religion in the world that makes this claim. It doesn't matter which, pick a religion. Their God does not come to live inside of you. Their God does not say, I'm paying the debt for you. You know why? It's not a true God. The one true God who paid the price for you comes to live inside of you so that we can be changed by the grace of God. The beauty of relationship with God and in grace with him is that he even accepts us before we change. We don't have to change and then come to Jesus. He wants to meet us right where we're at. The junk, the messes, the sin, and all of the predicaments that we've gotten ourselves in. He accepts us before we change, and then he moves inside of us. That's the grace of God. And listen, there are countless people that you encounter every single day that need this life-changing grace of Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we have the understanding of God, true understanding of God's grace, that we're living lives shaped by God's grace so that others who need God's grace will have a hunger for God's grace. Whenever we focus in the church on things other than God's grace, we're always setting up for ourselves hurdles that we will never be able to overcome. But whenever we focus on God's grace, we gather together as a people whose lives have been shaped by God's grace, then others that we encounter will have a hunger and a desire for God's grace that God moves inside of us takes out our heart of stone, and then puts inside of us a new heart, a heart that is moldable, a heart of flesh, and then puts his spirit 
inside of us. In 2011 and 2012, I was a bivocational pastor at that time. We lived in Jacksonville. I worked for a company that we were in a partnership. Um, We did a lot of events um, for the city of Jacksonville, over 300 events a year uh, that we did for the city of Jacksonville. And in May of 2011 and 2012, we did an event that was called Donate Life Day. It was an amazing, an amazing event. 2012 was the highlight. It was the last year that I had the privilege of working on um, Donate Life Day. And um, in that event, um, their goal was to get people to be organ donors. And so there were a lot of activities, a lot of events. Uh, The DMV was there to get people to change their license plate, to get them to sign up and all of this. It was just an amazing, amazing event. But on Donate Life Day, on whatever weekend it was in May of 2012, there was a 25-year-old girl there, as healthy as could be, and her name was Sarah Copeland. And Sarah Copeland was one of the speakers at this event. And Sarah came up and she shared that um, she had had a heart transplant. The heart that she was born with a few years before this day in 2012 finally got to the place to where it did not work the way that it should have worked any longer. She was in congestive heart failure and had cardiomyopathy. And the doctors told her that she had to have a heart transplant if she was to keep living. They put her on a list. Finally, one day, she got the call. They rushed her to Shands in Gainesville. And there, she received the heart of a guy by the name, a young teenager by the name of Sky Gaines. Sky passed away, and his parents made sure that he was an organ donor. They took Sky's heart. And they put it inside of Sarah. And in this event, I saw one of the most amazing things that I'd ever seen. Sky's mother was given a, test, a, a, a stethoscope. And after Sarah was finished speaking, stepped up onto the stage, put the stethoscope into her ears, and put that stethoscope on Sarah's chest so that she could hear her son's heart beating inside of Sarah to keep her alive. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. But in that moment, I understood what Jesus or what God was saying about what Jesus was going to do in the book of Ezekiel. Your heart can't sustain your spiritual life. And you have to have a spiritual heart transplant this is the grace of God that your heart comes out and he moves in with his heart so if God were to put a stethoscope to your chest spiritually this morning whose heart would he hear beating is it his or is it yours If God were to say, hey, I want to do a little checkup on you this morning. And he were to listen into your chest. Whose heart is beating? If it's not his, you've missed the grace of God. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to exchange hearts with him. Maybe you've been trying Maybe you've been running the race the best way that you know how. 
Maybe you're doing everything you can to keep life's items juggling in your life. This morning, you don't have to do that any longer because there's an opportunity for you to have a spiritual heart transplant because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's simple, it's free. You don't have to do anything. Because of God's grace, he meets you right where you're at. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to try to get some things in proper order. You don't have to get the cobwebs out of your spiritual. You don't have to do any of that stuff. All you have to do is say, God, I'm ready to surrender to you. And I'm tired of my heart failing me. And I'm ready for that heart transplant now. That you take out this old, stony, hard heart in my life. And you put in a new heart. Let your grace give me the newness so that I can live out this mystery that we read about in the scripture. That Christ is in me. So this morning, if you're tired of your old heart beating, if you're tired of wrestling with the oldness of life, then this morning at these altars, Jesus wants to do this exchange with you. That your heart would be replaced with him. That your heart of stone would no longer keep beating inside of you. But inside of you would be Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.